Uh, my name's Rick. A number of you are visiting today um, from all over. Jim, really? And he, <laughs> he gets so excited about this. Um, and and uh, God's up to some things. There's no question that we're living in such an interesting times. Um, interesting times also produce exciting times as well as produced horrific times. So you pick whatever emotion you want, you get it. Because that's what we're in. Uh, but we're in an unusual time, but I'm telling you, if we can, as we always are called to do, if we can see above the surface, we will see something amazing and we'll also be able to fight above the surface. Want to talk to us, uh, we did a little bit last week in, in beginning of 1 Samuel uh, 16 and 17, we're going to stay there this week, and that is if we fight on the natural level, we will all look like fools, we will all get hurt, and we won't win anything. But if we can step above the natural level, we can fight amazingly, we can actually see victory, and we can watch freedom come. Uh, so that's where I want to head today. I just want to share with you a little bit, and then we're going to continue it uh, next week even. So let me pray, and then let's go to uh, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Poke around there. Father, thank you for uh, this day you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come in a place like this. We bless you for that, Lord. We don't take this for granted. Have us never take for granted that we can gather and declare your praises. Thank you that we are able to come together and encourage each other. And may you come and do amazing things in our midst. Show us how strong you are, Jesus. We pray and expect things in your amazing name, Jesus. Amen. 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 You know, this is, uh, we are very fortunate to be in this place right now. Uh, for instance, we have had, we've made some modifications to our seating and our sanctuary and our cafe. Um, right now, if we went in there, we actually wouldn't fit. Uh, so, so that's a problem, right? <laughs> Every fifth person has to stay out. Uh, so do you need a chair, Melissa? We have lots of chairs. Okay. So you're standing there and your boys are all sitting making mom stand and I just figured it was typical. <laughs> That's what we would do in our house, right? <laughs> the, uh, but, but anyways, though, we're able to be out here. We don't know. We're kind of going on a week-to-week -week thing. But as long as we can do this in a relatively simple manner, um, we can do this. Uh, so a crew comes in 7 o'clock in the morning, sets all this up, and then a crew stays after uh, today and tears it down. And you say, wow. What an incredible crew. Well, the crew is like, it could be you. I mean, we don't have this, uh, the more in the crew, the better. If you say, wow, I could do that. I live close. I could run over there. It's an hour set up. I could run home. And then if you want to stay after, it's a half hour to 45 minute takedown. And boy, see AJ, because we want to build this up so we can get this on a rotating thing. Because we might meet here for the next six weeks. We're not sure um, on, on how that goes. And so... Praise God. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Frank, you like my sound? I feel echoey, but everybody's happy. You all right? You're okay? Good enough? All right, as long as we're good enough, it's fine with me. Let's go to, um, I want to just talk about David and Goliath, continue on with um, what we went through last week. 
And I want you to see something. I want you to see that you, I want you to see you right now and we collectively and the church as a whole. Not every Christian is going to do this, but I'm telling you, it's you, it's this church, and it's multiple churches who make up the greater body. We are in a position to gain victory. I want you to hear that. You are in a position to see victory. And the reason I say not every believer will do that is because not every believer will fight to gain victory. But you will. You are in a unique position. God's brought you to a position. God has given you a past and he's given you a present. He's given you a future. And he has called you and he's anointed you and he's prepared you for such a time as this so that others will experience freedom that you will lead them into. I want to give you the biggest you can do this speech ever because I'm telling you most people are not believing that right now it's easy to believe that God has called me and he's prepared me and he's anointed me and I'm here when everything is good easy and comfortable but as soon as we get out of the good the easy and the comfortable it doesn't change any truth it just changes your emotions and what you are relying on to believe that you're called, anointed, and prepared. I'm telling you, the fact that in January you were called, anointed, and prepared doesn't change at all in August. You're still called, anointed, and prepared. It's just a matter of, are you going to step out? In fact, I would dare say that in the good times we say it but we don't step out because there's no reason to step out. So now we're in an unusual time and it's forcing us to decide whether or not we are going to go after the Goliaths in our lives individually and in the nations of the world. When David, we went over this last week and I hope you read chapter 16 and 17 of 1 Samuel, you're also just slightly familiar with this, so we're good with that. David, as you know, let me give you the backdrop of this story. In chapter 13 and 14, King Saul was rejected by God. So he was, he was still king, but he was no longer God's man of the hour. So Samuel had to go anoint the new king, and he went and anointed David. So you know that. You know that account. You know that there were the, the seven brothers that Samuel was ready to anoint, and each one, God says, nope, another one comes forth. And God says, nope, and another one, nope, another one, no, 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 no. And that was the end of the brothers. And so at that time, Samuel says, do you got any other sons? Because he thought, I was told to go anoint Jesse's son, and seven of them have come forth, and God said, no, and there aren't anybody else around here. And Jesse says, oh yeah, I got one more. He's out working the field, tending the sheep. He's young. He's not so sharp. Uh, we don't really even like him. You sure you can't pick one of these guys? David comes, you know the story. He's anointed. He's called. But I want you to hear this. After David was called and anointed by Samuel, the man of God, Samuel was incredible. He's like top three of great men in the Old Testament. You could make a case he was top. It's like him, Joseph, Daniel, Moses. 
It's one of those guys. Big time dude. He anoints this young guy. And what does David do the, right after he's anointed? What, does he like fly around and everybody says, oh, God has sent us David. No, what does David do? Hey guys, I got to go back to the sheep. He goes back to the field, is living his life. He's also learning how to play the harp in the field, tending sheep. After the greatest anointing service in the last 200 years, the guy who was anointed goes back to work. I want you to hear this. You are, you are called, you are anointed, and you are prepared, and just maybe you have just been working at whatever your sheep are the last few years. David was not even remotely disobedient. He was just being put in a life situation that was part of the preparation for coming out and destroying the enemy of Israel. He was in that position. And I'm telling you, you maybe have just been in that position. You say, oh, I've just been cooking, or I've just been cleaning, or I've just been driving, or I've just been running kids around, or what, I don't know what your life has been like. I'm telling you, it's part of the preparation for tearing down the enemies of God. So David is out tending his sheep. Just real quick, just to catch you up to where we are in the, in the story of David. Uh, Saul has an evil spirit. Somebody remembers David's playing his harp. They bring David, and David plays the harp, and the evil spirit flees. So David's now on the radar. It doesn't seem to me that if you had to go to school for being king, you would take harp class. Right? I mean, you, you look at your syllabus, uh, you meet with your advisor, I'm going to study to be a king, and he says, well, the first thing you got to do is uh, learn how to play the harp. I'm like, dude, what kind of college is this? Doesn't seem real kingly to me. But I'm telling you, it was something that simple that got him on the radar to kill the giants. He got in, in the known. It was just a natural thing. He liked the harp. He played the guitar. He did the whatever. And that put him on the radar to where he was able to be in a position for the next. So then we get to the, the story of, you know, you, you know this. He brings his lunch to the boys, his brothers, who are at the battle with the Philistines. Israel and the Philistines every day, uh, they came out, they were going to fight. It was a constant battle with the Philistines. It's been going on forever, this battle with the Philistines. Sometimes Israel would win, sometimes the Philistines would win, and they were just in this battle. But now they're to a place where the battle is taken to a whole nother level. Because the Philistines would come out every day, and they would line up on that side of the court, and the, Phil and the Israelites on this side of the court, and as they came to battle, they were all ready to play. The biggest dude on their team came out and just mocked Israel and said, hey, you want to beat us? You got to go through me. He became the champion. The champion's the right word. He was the champion of the Philistines. And the champion of the Philistines was the one you had to go through. And he came out and said, send one guy to fight me, and we're going to do it hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? We're going to do it with a sword. We're not, we're not going to shoot each other. We're going to do it with a sword, hand-to-hand -hand combat. And if you got one guy who can get in the mud with me and rustle me and tear me down and beat me, we'll all submit to you. 
But if I beat that one guy in hand-to-hand -hand combat, in the mud, wrestling right here, you serve us. Now, who was setting the terms of the battle? The enemy. Why would you ever let the enemy set the terms of the battle for your soul? Don't do it. So Goliath says, here we go, changing the rules. You gotta fight me. I have no idea why Israel said, oh rats, now we gotta do this. Why? I don't know if they had an advantage before or not, but they had never fought like this ever. And the enemy says, new battle plans. It's WWE, get in the ring, we're gonna throw each other around, and the last one, it's the classic, whatever they call those things, right? The, the steel cage, but I don't know, you gotta kill the guy. So it's, I don't know what that is. Don't watch those. Um, and he says, that's the way we will determine the winning. So of course, nobody from Israel is going to take that wager. So they just, every day, they get mocked. I wanna jump into this though, because I want you to see, when David comes, everything changes. David comes, he brings the lunch, you know that. Uh, David left his, where am I, verse 22 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Um, David left the things uh, with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. All of Israel is in great fear because one guy steps out. Now listen, I don't think you have to be a genius to figure out 10 guys could maybe beat one guy, no matter how big he was. Why didn't they come up with a strategy? Why didn't they say, hey guys, if we link arms, maybe we can tackle them. Maybe we can beat them up. They came up with no strategy. They totally went on his terms and said we can't win. Now, I know I don't want to be real ambiguous about this, but I want you to hear in your life, we oftentimes will bow to the terms of the enemy in our life. And he'll say, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, if you do this, you'll do this, and da 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 and we go, oh, you're right. Listen, do you, does the enemy play fair? No. Is he gonna abide by, you know, I get a kick out of this, you know, there are, there are uh, um, rules of war, right? And, and you go to these conventions before whatever war, and you set out the Geneva Pact, and these are the rules we're going to fight with. Well, I'm not gonna let you kill me just so I can stay within the rules, right? Who stays within the rules when you're fighting a war? Oh, I could have gotten out of this, but you said only three bullets at a time. But if I had used, dude, you're not going to play fair. The enemy does not play fair in your life. So you think you have an agreement with the devil. He ain't going to hold up his end of the bargain. And if we think we should hold up his end of our bargain, which that doesn't even make sense, we're crazy. I'm telling you, we must in our lives, whatever you're going through, a sickness, a financial thing, a relational thing, and you think the enemy has you trapped, you just got to see that, wait a minute, 
I'm getting played here. Why am I following the rules of engagement set forth by the enemy when I serve the one who can overthrow, who has overthrown the enemy? And so I'm not going to follow that. And so I want us to see when David went to these lines and, they, and he saw Israel following the enemy's rules, something stirred in him. Something stirred in him. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this because David knew this. David knew he was called. David knew he was anointed. And David knew that he was prepared. If I had a hat, which I thought I, thought I brought a hat up here. Oh, it's over there. I was going to put a hat on because that is a C-A-P. I just want you to remember this. I am called. I am anointed. I'm prepared. I want, let's just say this. I am called. Say it. I am called. I am anointed. I am prepared. Let's say it together. I'm called. I'm anointed. I'm prepared. Say it again. I'm called. I'm anointed. And I'm prepared. Why do I want us to get that? Because we don't believe that. All we do is see a Goliath. David didn't see Goliath. David said, I'm called. I'm anointed. I'm prepared. That is an enemy of my God. That's what he saw. And so he said, his first thing was, I'm called, I'm anointed, and I'm prepared. I'm telling you, this is not a time to go, oh, big enemy, I'm so scared. Come on, it isn't. Everybody else in Israel's camp can be that way. Everybody else going through the same thing you're going through in your business or your family can be that way. God is calling people. And this is, of course, this, there's things on a national, a local level that we need to rise up for, which I believe we will. I believe we're part of a massive solution that's going to come from people like us who say, wait a minute. You're coming against the things of God, and I don't like that. And I'm called, I'm anointed, and I'm prepared. Boom! I'm coming after it. But this is not just an issue for things that are going on in, you know, my, we have a lot of friends all over the world. We talk to them regularly. And this is such a massive world struggle uh, right now. And, and so I believe there's an answer worldwide that's coming from the church. And, and I'm not just talking about a disease. Diseases come and go. This is a bad one. But it's more than that. We have been a wimpy body of Christ for decades. And if it's something like this that makes us realize we can actually raise our head and not be wimpy, then maybe this is the most awesome thing that God could ever do to refine His church, to realize I don't have to watch. As Ann was sharing about things that young people are going through today and the whole, you know, the, the massive sexual issues that are going on. You know, that just didn't happen for no reason. It happened because we went back in this line cowered down and watched Goliath rise up. Didn't have to happen. It absolutely didn't have to happen. You'll hear me say it often, if there's something you don't like, it's the church's fault. I believe it is. Why? Because we're the only ones with the answer. So why would we expect the Philistines to figure out the answer when they don't have the answer and they won't find the answer 
if we're over here cower down and say, oh, I wish that human trafficking would just go away. Really? Well, it's not going to. There's a massive Goliath right there who is trafficking young people all over the world. The church needs to say, wait a minute, I'm called, I'm anointed, and I am prepared for this. You're going down. And I'm telling you, this is how revival begins. This is how revival in your life lives, begins. This is how it rises up. And this is how people say, whoa, where have you been the last 20 years? We've been struggling with the Philistines forever. This is how bad it was in Israel with the Philistines. Um, it was early on, kind of in the whatever, the making the Iron Age or whatever it's called, making weapons out of things. Um, a few chapters before, this is uh, Israel history, weapons and blacksmiths. Blacksmiths made the weapons. Does anybody know how many blacksmiths the Israelites had? How many? I see a big zero. Israelites didn't have any blacksmiths. You know who had all the blacksmiths? The Philistines. You talk about being dependent on the enemy. The, you need to hear this because this is what the world we're living in right now. The Philistines made all the metal tools and weapons. Israel didn't have a blacksmith. Do you think maybe Israel was in trouble? Do you think that the righteous followers of Christ have gotten in trouble the last 20 years because we've turned all the blacksmithing over to the world? Why are we doing that? Why are we letting, not only are we letting the enemy set the rules, we're letting the enemy train us in battle. Come on, we're in, we're, we, gotta, we gotta wake up. We gotta wake up. The fact that we're sending our best young warriors to the Philistines to get trained in life is idiotic at best. And we wonder, why we have a Goliath of human trafficking, of sexual promiscuity, of families being destroyed. Why? Where have we been trained? We trained our best warriors in the camps of the Philistines. We gotta stop this. We gotta stop it. We gotta realize that we're called, that we're anointed, that we're prepared, and that we can actually train people up to be warriors. So I wanna go to, don't worry, I'm teaching on this next week too, so you're thinking, oh my gosh, we have not even seen Goliath yet. We're going to be here forever. Listen, we got like four fans. You're good for hours today. You, you guys, you're good. That, that fan is cooking. Those of you in the back with the fan, yeah, you're golden. I got a, oh, Chris, you okay with that fan there? I mean, your hair is blowing in the wind. Um, so, uh, but, but uh, so don't worry. I'm going to get to, because next week I want to give you a little preview. I want to talk next week of how to get dressed in your armor a really important thing you need to come back for that because we go to battles and we wear other people's armors guess what if you're wearing somebody's armor you're not going to win so we're going to get to that next week i'm going to skip that this week so david comes out there's a little thing here that you've got to get he comes out and he says man i'm all over i am just about losing chapter 17 in my bible it's going to end up like i already lost genesis 37 this might be the last time I teach on 1 Samuel 17. It's on its way out. Look at it. Um, 
So what happened was he comes and David asks, he says, hey, what happens to the guy who kills Goliath? That's a good question because he finds out some really good things happen. David says in verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I want you to see that. He's, in, he's not interested in just killing the Philistine. He's interested in removing the disgrace from Israel. He understands this at a higher level. He understands that Goliath is a puppet of the devil and that Israel is God's, is the apple of God's eye and it's going after God. He sees it at a higher level. You need to understand this. Your battle is never against flesh and blood. The person you see is never your enemy. It isn't. That will free up your home. The person you see is never your enemy. It'll free up your business. The person you're looking at is not your enemy. This will free up your mental state. The person you hear on the news is not your enemy. It's a higher level. Now, people can serve the enemy. They can do his biding, his business, or whatever. Uh, the, the, uh, I got distracted because I almost said Biden when I was talking about that, and I got nervous. I was hoping I didn't say it. So the, um, but the, but he'll, you got to see that what you look at, David, David didn't see an enemy. He saw something higher than the enemy. And you're going to see this in the weapon he chose, how he tore it down. And so, so he goes and he asks what's going to be done. And this is kind of cool. Um, he, da -da 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 -da, he says, uh, where do we go? He will, here's what he'll do. Verse 25. Uh, he comes out, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. And, here's the best part, and will exempt his father's family from taxes. So David finds out, oh, pretty cool. I get a lot of money. I get a cute girl. I don't have to pay taxes. But watch this, though, because even though those are fun things, Actually, this girl was always a problem for David, so it wasn't that exciting to get this girl. Um, but, but even though those are fun things, that's not what motivated David. David wasn't motivated by this. David saw somebody tearing down the things of God, and that's what rose up. So he, he asked this, and then, um, and then, they, then verse 28 then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger. This is David's brother. All David did was saying, hey, this doesn't look right. And he inferred, I might take this Goliath down. What do I get if I, get, if I bump off Goliath? Eliab, Argh! now watch this. For the past 40 days, what had Eliab done every single day? Watch. This was Eliab's 40 days. All dressed up, I'm going to battle, I am one tough dude. Dun, dun, dun. Urgh. David, Goliath comes out, says, you bunch of dogs, you got anybody to feed me? Defeat me? Here's Eliab. Rats! Eliab's life, 40 days, that was his life. That's not real impressive. And yet David says, what do you get if you kill that guy? Eliab burns with anger. He burns with anger, and he asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave those few sheep 
in the desert. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now watch this. David just brought him a sandwich. And now he is getting ridiculed, judged. Your motives are bad. You think you're better than me. Why don't you just go back to your lousy job, play that stupid harp and those lousy sheep and they stink and just get out of here because I hate you. And David says, now what have I done? The inference is, I've been taking this ridicule for years. Now what have I done? And he says, can't I even speak? I love that. No, I hate that. But I love the fact that David said it because I believe for, I'm thinking about 15 years, maybe a little more, about 15 years, the church has been silenced, ridiculed, mocked, judged the motives, questioned why they're doing this, all those other things. And the church has essentially been told, shut up, shut up and go back to your little worship service and we'll tell you when to come out. And I'm telling you, even the things that are happening now, I want you to separate this, please separate this. Just separate the fact that there is a disease from we've gone loony. Okay, can we separate those two things? Just for the sake of it, separate those two things. The, the lunaticness of this has gotten out of control and at its heart is Shut up and go back to your job because I am the expert. Okay, Eliab, you're the expert. What have you been doing the last 40 days? Well, I've been getting all dressed up. I look real fancy. I have a press conference. I go out and I go... I'm so glad David didn't go back to the field. I'm so glad David said, I'm called, doggone it. I'm anointed and I'm prepared for whatever's next and I love this about David he didn't say this but he basically said it ain't gonna keep me quiet I'm taking down that giant I'm taking him down so then we go into the next thing and Saul finds out about him Saul says what and the crazy thing was Saul actually let this happen why is that crazy? Because what happens if David loses? <laughs> They're done. The Philistines take over Israel. So David was allowed to go fight this. And he wasn't even in the military. He had never been trained in carrying a sword, spear, helmets, all that stuff. And yet he, Saul, I don't know why. You talk about being desperate. Saul was so desperate, he said, yeah, go for it, kid. I'm tired of this 40 days of looking like a fool. I think Saul finally realized it would better be better to be defeated than to sit here every day and realize our ineptity. And there are times in your life when you get to the place where you say, I can't take this strategy anymore, whatever it's for there might be a whole nother strategy that God's going to give you dealing with whatever. Listen, don't think that God doesn't speak to you in how to deal with your children. God will speak to you in how to deal with your children. 
Don't think God doesn't give you ideas for your business. He will give you ideas for your business. He does. He's faithful. He's for you. You're called, anointed, and prepared for this moment right now. So David goes, uh, and I'll come back and fill in the gaps next week, but I just want you to hear here because I hear this because I want us to get to how we fight these battles because I'm just kind of talking in flowery things. There were three types of weapons at this time, um, at this era of the, of the world. There was close range, mid range, and long range weapons. Close range were your fists, your dagger, your sword, shield, whatever. That was close range. Mid-range were like maybe you'd throw a javelin. A little bit farther, mid-range. Then there were the long-range weapons. The long-range weapons of the time were the bow and arrow and the sling. Long-range weapons. Goliath's terms were which? Short or close-range, mid-range, or long-term? Goliath wanted to fight close-range. He wanted close-range. If David had taken up his terms and said, okay, I'll fight you close-range, Guess what? We're not even talking about this story. A little shepherd came out, got beaten up, killed, thrown to the wolves, and Israel got defeated again. David said to himself, see, even Saul, we'll get to this next week, Saul tried to outfit him to fight close range. That's what he said. He says, you're going to fight close range. Put an armor on him, sword, all this stuff, helmet. He says, you're going to fight close range. David had enough giddy-up to say, I am not going to go wrestle that dude. I'm not going to do it. Because I need a different strategy. I can't go pound for pound with a guy nine feet tall. And he says, I'm going long range. Going long range. Picks up the stones, you know the thing. But I want you to see this because this is where I want us to fight our battles. I want us to fight our battles long range, and I want you to see how and where he defeated Goliath. You know, he got the stones, you know the account. He doesn't take one blow at his foot, so he bends over, and then he punches him. He does not do that. Where does he go? He takes, here's the Philistine army. He takes the tallest guy in the Philistine army, and he goes to the top of the Philistine tallest guy in the Philistine army. And he does it from long range. Zoom! Zoom! Boom! That was the battle. But here's what we've got to see. And I believe even as a church, I have never been more passionate about the essentiality. That's a cool word. I don't think I've ever said that. Might not be a word. About the essentiality of us being determined to worship our king. I've never been more convinced that we cannot shrink back. We must declare the word. We must fight our battles in the heavenlies. We have to. We cannot fight hand-to-hand -hand combat against the enemy. And the church has for a long time tried to fight hand-to-hand -hand combat. Right? We've, we've, we've gone through, uh, I, mean, we, and we've, we've, I guess we've always struggled with this because it's always easy to go natural. You know, we, we watched, I can remember in the 90s, you know, the church watched the MTV world, and so the church says, oh, to reach that generation, we need to try to be better than MTV. And then we said, well, let's try to be better than this entertainment. Let's try to get a better band. Let's 
try to get a better teacher. Let's, let's look at whatever that world is doing and just try to be a little better. Hey, newsflash, we're not gonna be better than a billion dollar industry, okay? We're not going to be. If we're gonna compete stage for stage, we lose. If we're gonna compete preacher for preacher, we lose. If we're gonna compete network for network, we lose. Let's stop fighting this on the natural. Let's stop fighting on the natural. Let's identify the Goliath and let's go right after his head. And the way we do it is from long range spiritual thing. But watch, it doesn't just end there. Remember the thing plunked in his head, it knocked him to the ground? Then what did David do? Because this is like the cool stuff when I was a little kid, my favorite story ever. Because what did he do? He took out Goliath's sword. He didn't even have a sword, right? He got nothing. He got five stones and a sling and maybe his harp. I have no idea. Um, they, but he, he goes there. I'm getting away from that. Um, and he, uh, uh, he goes out there and he takes Goliath's sword out, whoop, from Goliath, and he lops off his head. He went into battle, absolutely, but he went and chopped off his head after he was dead. You defeat long range, you can pick up the spoils short range, period. But I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Please see this, because it's so easy to get emotions involved in defeating the Goliaths. Now, emotions can be involved because you need to be a little charged up. But I don't want you to think that it's an emotional, natural fight. We go after the head. And how do we do it? We go high. How do, what's the highest we go? It's worship. We go exalt our Lord. We go after Him. We go after exalting the praises of God. Why? Because He's the only one Nobody in Israel was at Goliath's level. So David had to go to somebody higher than Goliath who could fight him face to face. Not only face to face, he looked down on him and said, dude, you're going down. But when we exalt the one who is higher, he can tear down the one who is highest in the natural. We've got to go after it in worship. Our weapons are not carnal. And then you say, well, that's fun. So what, do we just sing a song? Well, yeah, it actually does work. It has worked in the past. It's worked in many people's homes and lives and history and Bible. But there's more than that. We come at this battle with substance. I, make sure you get these. I don't, does any, does, raise your hand if you don't have these. Anybody not have their little cup? Because we'll bring them to you. We all got them. We did pretty good. Wow, you're good. We're not this good inside after we pass them down the aisles. So good job. Because I want, and, and Donna's going to share some things. Because this, what this represents, the death, burial, and resurrection, is pretty doggone powerful. We're not fighting with a wimpy weapon. We're fighting with the ultimate power of God. Come on up, Donna. I want you to share some things. She's, we were talking this week about, where, do you, where are you going? You want to be down there, up here? And this is definitely like Goliath, too. Oh, wow, look at this. Um, we were, Donna works here, and so we're, we work together, and we were sharing some things this week about just the power that's in communion, and that we need to take this seriously. And so I want, I want to bring it to this, and I'm going to turn it over here. I want you to know we're talking about a natural battle in your life. I mean you, talking about you. We're talking about a regional, national thing. To pick whatever you think you want. You know, you want to fight the battle of the economic world or the disease world or... Uh, deception world, whatever it would be. I just, and, and internationally too, because we fight with weapons that are higher 
but they're more powerful also. So I'll be turning it over to you. We were talking earlier this week, and, and I listened to what you had to say about David last week, and I'm hearing about what you're saying about David this week. You know, I want to take you back in 1 Samuel just a little bit to 1 Samuel 13, when Saul disobeyed God by, by offering a burnt offering without Samuel's presence, because that was Samuel's job. And Samuel told Saul, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and it's going to be given to someone else. And he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. You know, what was it that gave David the ability, the courage, the strategy to defeat Goliath, to defeat the enemy? It wasn't because of his strength it wasn't because of his incredible intellect. It was because God recognized in this man that he was hard after his own heart. You and I, we are called. We are anointed. Are we after the very heart of God? because that is going to be our victory. Knowing the heart of God, stepping into the heart of God is what's gonna change relationships in my family. It's what's gonna give me the courage and the know-how and the strategies to overcome the challenges in my own life as well as the challenges that are coming at us from out here. So here's what I'm encouraging all of us to do. All of us have these little communion cups. And you know, it was Jesus himself who instituted communion when he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And here's, I want us to think about communion in a different way. And I don't know what tradition you were raised in or if you understand. I don't want to go into all the theology of what communion really is. It's pretty awesome. And I would encourage us all to study it. But communion is a tangible, a tangible way in which I go after the heart of God. And it doesn't need to happen just here at church. It doesn't need to just happen with the juice that you're given or the bread that you're given. I can do it in my own home. And can I tell you, I've felt the need to do communion in my own home more than I ever have in the past. It doesn't matter whether you use grape juice out of your refrigerator and a Ritz cracker out of your cupboard. It doesn't matter because it's the state of your heart. It's the state of our hearts that is the issue here. And when I take the blood and the body of Jesus, and I'm not saying, I'm not being a cannibal here and say it actually turns, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what it represents. But when I go and I take what's representing the body of Jesus, what's representing the blood of Jesus, I'm making a confession and my confession is, 
Lord, I need you. My confession is, I believe that you are exactly who you said you are. I believe that you are the son of the living God, and I believe that you have what I need in order to meet whatever it is that I'm facing at any given moment. I'm confessing that you are Lord of my life. You are Lord of my mind. You are Lord of my heart. You are Lord over my family. You are Lord over my relationships. You are Lord over my community. You are Lord over my region. You are Lord over my nation. You are Lord over the nations of the world. So I make that confession. And then I look at the cracker. I look at the grape juice. And I say, Lord, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to change me. I am inviting you to give me your mind. Give me your heart. Change me so that I can be like a David. Change me so that I have what it takes to face what I, whatever it is I need to face. Not up here in some hyper-spiritual way, but right now. The words that I speak, the actions that I take, right now I need you. And so I invite you into my life. I invite you into my mind. I invite you into my heart. So it is a confession. It is an invitation. And it is an appropriation. Because Jesus Christ died and went to the cross for a purpose and for a reason. And his mind and his heart, he wants to impart that to me. He wants to impart that to you. He wants to impart that to us corporately. And so I, we're taking communion this morning not as a religious exercise, not as some theological whatever, whatever. It is because at the very deepest level of who we are, we confess that he is Lord. We invite him into our very being in a very, very tangible way, and we expect him. You see, people, I so much believe that God is waiting to meet us. He is waiting to give us his heart his mind, his strategy in very practical ways. But I gotta ask. I gotta invite. I gotta appropriate what it was he went to the cross for, for me, for my family, for this body right here, for this region and for our nation. So as we take the elements today, go home, take your own elements, do it whenever you feel the Lord is leading you to do it. And let's expect, let's expect that the weapons that he is going to give us are going to be powerful and they're going to be at, adequate stuff. They're going to be exactly what is needed in the days and the weeks ahead. So that's what I have to say.